You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, this is our second talk in our series called Teach Us to Pray. In this series, we are focusing on what Jesus taught about prayer. Now, prayer is essential for our relationship with God because it's all about communication with God. And every good relationship needs healthy communication. Like all types of relationship need great communication if that relationship is going to be healthy And the main way we communicate with God is through prayer. And at the essence of the Christian faith, the heart of the Christian faith is relationship with God. So prayer is absolutely essential. Now, in today's talk, what I'm going to do is focus particularly on our passage to start, this story that Jesus tells and the explanation that he gives, work out what he's on about there. Then I'm going to reflect a little bit about on my personal journey with prayer in particular, individual prayer. I'm not going to focus much on group prayer today, just mainly our own personal prayer life. And hopefully, as I reflect on that journey and how it relates to the passage, that's really going to help you in your journey with prayer as well. Now, the context of the passage is that Jesus' disciples have asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They've actually approached him and said, can you please do this, Jesus? And the first thing he did was to teach them the Lord's Prayer. Well, what we know now is the Lord's Prayer. And we looked at that in the opening verses of the chapter. And it's actually what Tim preached about in part one of the series. So if you missed that, go back and podcast it or find it on our YouTube channel. What he does then, immediately after, so we're looking today at verse five and following. These are the verses straight after what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, uh, is to tell this story about a friend who goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night. And he says to his friend, "Um, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. 
Now, in Jesus' time, in Jesus' culture, hospitality was valued very, very, very highly. Uh, we value hospitality a bit in our culture here in Melbourne, but boy, in Middle Eastern culture, hospitality is just valued incredibly high, highly. And so the thought of your friend arriving and you have nothing to feed them is just one of the worst things that could possibly happen. So of course, you're gonna go next door and you're gonna get something to offer your guest, even if it's the middle of the night and you're waking them up. And of course, he does wake him up and his fr friend doesn't seem that keen. So the one inside answers in verse seven, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Not a particularly surprising reply. It's the middle of the night. Uh, it's a small house. The whole family, we uh, quite commonly in these times, would sleep together in the one room. This guy doesn't want to get up, wake up the whole family in the middle of the night. But in verse eight, we realize that he does eventually get up and give his neighbor what he's asking for, some food for this friend who's come from the, uh, at the end of this long journey. But he doesn't get up because of friendship, Jesus said. So it's not like he goes, all right, mate, because it's you, I'll do it. If it was anyone else, maybe I wouldn't, but because we're such good buds, I'll do it. No, he's, Jesus actually says, it's because of your audacity. It's because of your boldness that I'll be doing, uh, that, that the uh, friend actually gets up and gets the bread for him. And there's a, a, a sense of persistence there as well. And that comes through in the way Jesus gives the um, explanation in verse nine. Because Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, and remember, this is all in response to them asking him to teach them about prayer. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will not find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, this is where the limitations of English sometimes come in and it's helpful to read or research the original language. I've done that for you where the original language actually has a sense of the verbs being continuous. What does that mean? Well, basically, he doesn't mean ask once and it will be given to you. He means ask and continue asking. Seek and continue seeking, knock and continue knocking. So there's this sense of not just being bold, going to your friend's place in the middle of the night, that's a pretty bold, audacious thing to do, but also being persistent in that boldness. Minecraft, the video game Minecraft, has become a very popular video game in our house uh, in recent times. And so our eldest daughter will frequently, persistently ask to play Minecraft. Often the answer is no, because there's jobs to do or homeschool to complete or it's time to go to bed. Uh, but every now and then the answer is yes. Minecraft's a great game, it's good to play sometimes. And so her persistence will sometimes pay off. And Jesus is saying here that bold, persistent prayer is a good thing and that we should do it. Now, when we talk about persistence in prayer, often a bunch of questions pop up as to why God wants us to do that. And they're good questions. And I'm not going to answer them this week because next week, Tim's going to talk about that throughout his entire talk. Uh, it's going to be about persistence in prayer. So look forward to that. Um, but Jesus then goes on in verse 11 and says, Which of you fathers, if your son's, uh, son asks for a fish, 
will give him a snake instead? The obvious answer to this is none. Like, no dad would do that. What a horrendous thing to do. Call the DHS on that dad if he does it. Uh, then in verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Again, no dad would do that. Horrible thing to do. Lock that dad up. These are the obvious answers. And then he goes, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, basically saying, even the worst parents know how to give good gifts to their children. Everyone knows how to do it. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Basically saying, God knows how to give good gifts way better than any human, the Holy Spirit being the best possible gift anyone could ever receive, uh, the gift of God himself to come and live in us. And so God is a good giver. And it starts to explain the story he's just told uh, and in a bit more detail, right? Because it would be tempting for us to go, well, God is exactly like the neighbor who gets woken up in the sense that he will answer our prayers, but he'll kind of do it grudgingly. You know, it's like, oh, all right, you've hassled me. You've woken me up. I guess I'll give you what you want. But Jesus is saying, no, God is similar to that character, but better. Uh, he does respond to bold, persistent prayer, but he is a generous giver. He's eager to give. Uh, he's a good giver. He's not just going to do it grudgingly. And this often happens when Jesus tells a story where he compares God to a character, but says God's similar to this character, but he's a better version than we have in the story. So the disciples come to Jesus. They say, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? And Jesus says, you need to be bold, you need to be persistent, and remember that God is a good giver. That's the passage. Now, it's one thing to understand that in our minds, you know, get, a, get our intellects around it. It's another thing to then take that understanding and apply it into our day-to-day -day prayer life. And I have, at times in my life, found that very, very difficult. It reminds me of uh, exercise and improving my skills in basketball. So I've played basketball every year of my life since high school. And the thing is, I'm not very tall, right? So uh, as I was had stopped growing, a lot of the other guys were just getting taller and taller. So I thought, all right, well, I'm going to need to, in basketball, you need to be taller, you need to be able to jump high. So I thought, I need to improve my vertical leap. So I started researching how you can jump higher. What exercises do you need to do to improve your vertical leap? Found out a bunch of stuff and developed this elaborate plan to improve my vertical leap over an eight-week period because there was all these promises on the internet that you could do it. And so day one, I head out and I do this big exercise session to start improving my vertical leap. And I don't remember everything that I did, but one thing I do remember is that I did hill sprints up the quite steep hill that ran up next to our house. So pretty hot day, running up concrete uh, footpath, you know, sprinting up the hill and then walking back, sprinting up the hill and walking back. So that was day one. Day two, my legs hurt so much I could barely walk. So I did no exercise that day. Day three, my legs hurt so much that I could barely walk. So I did no exercise that day. 
Day four, I'd kind of forgotten about the eight-week plan and I never returned to it again. And I've actually found that my attempts to improve my prayer life have gone in a similar way. You see, what happens is I hear about someone who has an inspirational prayer life. Now, this could actually include a few people who go to our church, right? Because some of you have what I would say is a prayer life that I aspire to, where you are able to pray for long periods, uh, you pray regularly, you seem to have a deep connection with God when you pray, and you, most importantly, you see God answer prayer in incredible ways. And so when we hear stories like this, whether it's from our church or we read a book about it or we hear a talk about someone doing incredible prayer overseas or something like that, then we go, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a prayer life like that? That'd be awesome. And so what I would do then is investigate, well, what habits, what prayer habits do these people have? And here's a natural example. Uh, I'm reading a book, you know, and here's this great prayer warrior guy. And this guy would get up before the sun. You know, so getting up at like five o'clock in the morning. And before he did anything else, before he ate, before he worked, before he spoke to anyone, he would do a minimum two hours of focused pr prayer each day. And he'd done this for like decades. Now, it meant he had an incredible relationship with God and you know, seen all this incredible answered prayer. And I thought, this is it. This is the key to an incredible prayer life. You have to get up early and just do multiple hours in the morning before you do anything else. So that's my plan. That's what I have to do. So you try and do it. Well, I didn't get up at five, but you know, you get up early. <laughs> All right, well, I'm up. All right. So then you start. So you sit down to focus. Now, let's see if you can relate to this. And this is not just once, but this is often an experience for me. And I know it is for other people as well. So you sit down for some focused prayer time. You've got a bit of a quiet spot. You go, oh, I've got plenty of time. This is my prayer time. Right. Focus on Jesus. Okay. 15, 30 seconds later. Gee, it's windy outside. What was that bang? Did, did the wheelie bin just tip over? No, it wasn't a big enough bang. If, if the wheelie bin tipped over, there would have been a much bigger bang. You would have heard the rubbish sort of all spill out onto the ground. It should be okay. But if it wasn't the wheelie bin, what was it? Oh, oh, I've lost focus. All right, all right. All right, back focusing on prayer. Okay, focusing on Jesus. 15 to 30 seconds later. Remember that popular kid who said that really mean thing to you, to your face in high school? You didn't have a comeback to them? I still don't have a comeback now. It was like 25 years ago. Oh, oh, and you just drift so quickly from one thing to another, from one worry to the next thing on your to-do list. And 15 minutes later, you realize you've been sitting there for a quarter of an hour and you've done maybe like two minutes of actual conversation with God. And you start to go, oh. How am I ever going to do two hours of this at 5 a.m. when I'm sleepy? Jeez. And then you go, all right, no, 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 no. Okay, lists, lists, lists will help me focus. I often say I'm going to pray for someone and then I forget. So I'm going to start writing things down 
And you know, there's people who are sick, there's people who are in great need around the world. I'm gonna write things down and I'm gonna pray through it. So you write down a prayer list and it goes really well the first few times, right? You feel great, you feel like you've achieved something. I actually prayed for people who are in need, this is awesome. But then the list starts to feel a little bit samey, you know, like, oh, I've prayed this a bit, and you start to skim it. And, you know, if some of those prayers are answered, you know, it was over an extended period, and so you're like, well, maybe that just would have fixed itself anyway, really. Like, that person probably just got better over time, or maybe that situation just sort of worked itself through. You get a little bit cynical, and instead of praying the list every day or every other day, it starts to become every week or every other week, until you realize it's been a couple of months since you prayed through the list, and eventually you just lose the list. And here's the thing. With prayer, often it can be for me, and I know for some of you, maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of you, and I know this because some of you have told me, and I know this because in a book which I'm gonna recommend in a minute, they've surveyed a lot of people and a lot of people have this experience. We can often drift between boredom and guilt, <laughs> where we can't focus well enough to really have a great time in prayer, and then we feel terrible about it because prayer is so important and we wanna do well at it and we wanna have a good relationship with God. And so what I've come to realize is that if I'm gonna have a bold and persistent prayer life that is really, really healthy, and it's gonna be reliant on my ability to concentrate and focus, then I'm a lost cause. That's it. It's not gonna happen. If it's all down to me and my strength, it's not gonna happen. I will botch it. Sure, I might have a few moments where it goes well, but long-term, it's not gonna work. The book I'm recommending is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, and I, I'm reading it at the moment. I haven't quite finished it. I highly, highly recommend it. I mean, the couple, I've got a couple of chapters left. Possibly it takes a terrible turn at the end, but really it's been great most of the way through. But it's great just for the first couple of chapters because it he really very honestly leans into the challenges that we have with individual prayer and the grapple that we have with cynicism and, and unbelief, it's like that distrust in whether prayer is actually worth it. And it's because we put too much on ourselves and our own ability to focus, and it's like it's all up to us. And the journey we need to go on, and I'm pleased to say I am on the journey, and I, I, I don't, I very rarely go into the bored guilt zone that I often have in the past but I'm pleased don't hear that I'm arrived and I'm now some sort of prayer guru. But I'm pleased to be on this journey where I, I genuinely look forward to praying individually um, and I miss it when my, my routine or my opportunities are, are interrupted. And I'm learning to pray with a boldness that I think is in the passage today, Jesus' story. Um, but it's a journey and I'd love us to be able to go on it um, each of us together. And so here's what I'd recommend. If we have this image of an incredible prayer warrior and, and this level of prayer that we want to achieve, I think that's a great end goal to have. Um, 
and possibly we will, we will get there at seasons in our life. But if, if you're in the boredom or the guilt sort of season at the moment, I'd encourage you to just put that sort of incredible uh, level of achievement just aside for the moment. Like for me with the vertical leap, you know, if I'm thinking I'm going to be able to jump and, and, and dunk the basketball, no, scale it back. Just see if you can jump a centimetre higher <laughs> and bring it back to that. Because let's think about the passage, right? What is Jesus presenting us with when it comes to an illustration of people praying? Is it someone who gets up before the sun and prays for two or three hours every day? No. It's an annoying neighbour who wakes up his friend in the middle of the night and it's a kid who asks his dad for an egg. I can get behind those illustrations. They feel very achievable to me. And so here's what I want to recommend, is instead of putting some sort of very huge goal ahead of yourself for prayer, just start small. And I want to give you permission to be annoying to God in your individual prayer life. Just dump it all in his lap. Let it all hang out there. If you're concerned that God won't like your prayers because they're too dumb or too theological shallow or too emotional or not emotional enough or too selfish or too uninformed or too boring, you're wrong. He loves to hear your prayers no matter what. He just wants to be in relationship with you and he wants to hear whatever's on your mind including if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. If you're just in that zone where you're like, oh, maybe God's real, maybe Jesus is the thing, he'd love to hear from you too. And he'd love to hear your thoughts on, I'm not even sure if Jesus is the legit thing yet. Have a conversation with him about that. He just wants to be in relationship with you. And you don't need to worry that like, oh, well, maybe I'll get my prayers wrong and accidentally ask for the wrong thing. Because think about that image in verse 13 of like, he's a good giver, right? You're, He's not going to accidentally give you a snake or a scorpion. If you ask for a dumb thing, he won't give it to you. Just chill out, relax, stress less. Because he's good. And he just wants, like a dad who's listening to his little kid who's talking about all sorts of stuff, he just wants to hear from you no matter what. And it, this is, again, we're talking about individual prayer, right? In a group, obviously, we need to respect other people. And so you might want to rein it in a little bit at times. But when you're doing individual prayer, you've got an audience of one. And so you, there's no need to perform. Let me give you an example. We all have people in our life who at times will irritate us. Will, will irritate us. Can we all be honest about that? Yeah. Like, that's just the case. And I'm sure will irritate other people as well. But uh, here's the thing. For me, I felt like because I'm a Christian and because I'm meant to love my neighbor and because Jesus taught us to, to, to do that and to love our enemies and to pray for them and so on, when I had people in my life who were annoying me, I felt like I couldn't really tell God that for some dumb reason. And so I would just sort of pray, oh, God, please bring peace to their life and help me to be patient and all this sort of stuff. And you know what? I found a tremendous freedom in just saying to God, you know what, God, I don't really like that guy. I just don't like him. They're really annoying me. Now, it's not a very holy thing, but I'm not a particularly holy person. I get things wrong. Now, if I was to say that in a group, 
prayer situation, that would be a problem, right? Because then I'm starting to gossip, I'm damaging their reputation. That would not be a great thing. But when there's an audience of one, why would I be, pretend, be, be pretending to be holier than I am? In front of God. <laughs> That'd be stupid. But that's what I was doing. And so I found a wonderful freedom in actually just letting it all hang out and just being honest. And it doesn't make me look that good, but it's just me and God. So who cares? And that's what I'm recommending. We can be annoying. We can be slobs. We can be kind of gross and embarrassing in front of God because that's who we all actually are deep down. And you know what? When I actually did that, I said, you know what? I don't really like them. God, I was actually fully honest with God about it for a change. He actually helped me to like them. <laughs> he took me on a journey where he showed me uh, some great things about those people and helped me to see them as he sees them. But if I'm not fully honest with them, I'm pretending that I actually like them, it's much harder to go on that journey. Here's the thing. This passage comes from the middle of the book of Luke. At the end of the book of Luke, Jesus goes to the cross, dies and rises again for you, for us. Through that, we see just how deep God's love is for us. He'd be prepared to become a human being and die a sacrificial death so that we can have eternal life so that we can be in relationship with him. His love for us is deep. His patient with, patience with us is infinite. Prayer is not a performance, us proving our love for God. It is our relationship with the God who has proved his love for us absolutely. I really like this quote from Paul Miller as we finish. He says, God cheers when we come to him with our wobbling, unsteady prayers. Jesus does not say, come to me, all you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. The true quote says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This God who wants us to come to him, who loves us deeply and unconditionally, is available 24-7 for a chat. So, start small. Find what works for you when it comes to individual prayer. Be bold, be annoying, and remember that God is good. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.